Good morning. Let us open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day that we may come and worship you together as a family of God. Lord, we may, your, your Holy Spirit is always welcome in our lives. And Lord, may that spirit come into us with the message today and may, may we feel and learn and understand and come closer to you with every one of your words. This we ask in your son Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's worship our Lord. Triumph through trust. Neither death nor life, nor things present or things to come, shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39. There are two ways to respond to adversity, discouragement or trust. The problem with giving in to discouragement is that it only makes things worse. For with it may come bitterness, anger, jealousy, revenge, and so forth. We may even try to escape through drugs or alcohol, but do any of these solve a problem? No. God has a better way, the way of trust. Sometimes he may show us that we are in the wrong, and when that is the case, we need to confess it, repent, and seek his forgiveness. And sometimes, however, we can only accept what is happening and ask God to help us endure through it and to the triumph over it. One of the best ways to overcome adversity I've found is to praise God right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the turmoil. Turning to God's word will also encourage us. Many of the Psalms, for example, were written in the midst of suffering and adversity. Follow the psalmist example. example. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Psalm 103, 2. The hope for today, it's easy to praise after the fact when we receive the healing the restored relationship, and the financial windfall. It is a true, mature faith that praises God in the midst of the trial and trusts him even before the outcome is revealed.
be bringing the Old Testament to you today, um, Psalm 123. Lord, we come to you. and I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We'll keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes upon their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress on the slightest signal. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. For we have had our fill of contempt. We have had more than our fill of scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. Pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So keep standing. Stand up, stand up, it says, for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the Testament reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. If you take your bulletin or maybe up there, uh, (laughs) we have a responsive reading. Almighty and gracious Father, we give you thanks for the fruits of the earth in their season, for the labors of those who harvest them. 
make us faithful stewards of your great bounty for the provision of our necessities and the relief of all who are need. To the glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We're not collecting, passing a collection plate, but if someone wants to leave a donation, we have it's back on the back table. But let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. We thank you for sharing. We know all that is, that there is, belongs to you, Lord. And we know that for some reason you've entrusted it, some of it to some of us, to many of us. But Lord, you call upon us. You call us as servants and as your children to share it, to, to, say, to help others come to know you. So Lord, we ask that the, whatever gifts we have today, that they be used to further your kingdom, that others may come to know the joy of being part of your family. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, am I coming through? Yep, I can hear it. <laughs> Greetings. Lord bless you. I, yesterday I had this uh, incredible privilege. Um, and we, we, we talked about, Caroline shared about uh, um, a, uh, Mrs. Farsjo and her family. We, I had the privilege of being able to share the gospel with the family yesterday. That's always an incredible privilege to me to be able to... Uh, you know, a whole group of people that, uh, some who know Christ, others who didn't, but be able to share the gospel um, is, to me, it's, it's the pinnacle of life. So um, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who, pray, who loves us, who gave himself for us, and we set our course this morning to hear from you We've been giving you praise. We've been worshiping your name. And now we pray that you will speak back to us through your word. We thank you that your word is the word of life. We thank you that your word is, Lord, is, is power and life within us. And that it creates, it's, it does what it's sent to do. It brings life within us. It brings healing. It brings deliverance. It brings joy to our lives. And we gather this morning in celebration of your word and celebration that you speak to us out of your word. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, may you speak to each and every one of us. And we pray this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. We have been, um, for the last... Uh, 20 years, I think it is now. We've been, <laughs> it hasn't actually been that long, but we've been in the book of Colossians. And <laughs> we have been talking about how we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and with Christian character. And what that Christian character looks like. And so today we want to talk about what are the means then to that end? How do we get to Christian character? We you know, we all want to be good people. We want to be righteous people. We want to do the right kinds of things. We want to have the right kind of character. This morning we're going to talk about some of the avenues by which we get to where we want to go. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And yes, we're actually going to cover two whole verses. Three, uh, three verses. Whoa, three verses today. <laughs> we've had times we've only covered, those of you who are new, about one word, so uh, we're, really, we're really picking up steam here. Uh, Colossians 3.15-17, through 17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. We were talking about peace earlier. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So in verse 15 then, um, are two very important keys to living a victorious life and, and seeing uh, God work in us this Christian character, living in peace and being thankful. And so we're going to pick those up and then we'll talk more about other things. The Greek word for rule, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, um, is, is a, means that the peace of God is like an umpire in us. Ever thought of it that way? That the peace of God is like an umpire helping us to make decisions about what is right and wrong. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when, I, you know, when I'm facing some kind of difficulty and a decision, I'll, 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 just, I'll pray and a lot of times just sit back and, and, and encounter the Lord. And when that peace comes, I, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to proceed. I mean, I have to check it with other things. But that is part of what God uses to help us to proceed, is that peace, an umpire in us, uh, leading us to the right kinds of decisions. It protects and keeps our hearts and minds. So the peace of Christ, then, is our judge. It's an umpire. And the word was used as an umpire or a referee in public games. And that referee will keep us, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So when we live in the presence of God, he both protects us and he serves as, our, as an umpire to our thoughts, that Holy Spirit within us, teaching us what we're to think in every situation. He takes the word of God, he applies the word of God to our lives. There's two imperatives in these verses, and both actions are continuous. Let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. Both are imperatives. Both are in the present. They're, they're in a present imperative in the Greek, and so they mean that the action is to be continuous. So we are constant to, constantly to be in the process of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, and being thankful. It's a, it's a lifestyle, not just a one-time kind of decision, but a lifestyle of allowing the peace of Christ to dwell in us and being thankful for whatever God has done in us. So let's talk about the peace of God. Romans 5.1 uh, says this, Since then you have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's three senses in which I believe that, that Paul is talking about peace ruling in our lives. The first is that we have peace with God. The second is that we have peace within. And the third is that we have peace with each other or in our personal relationships. But we can't have peace within ourselves and peace with other people until and unless we have peace with God. All right. That the key, then, to interpersonal relationships, getting along with one another, is that we have peace with God, our hearts are right with Him, and that we have peace within. Because of that peace with God, we can have peace within our hearts. We're called to peace. Peace is part of our inheritance. And part of being in Christ is that we have the Prince of Peace dwelling in our hearts and in our lives. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born. This is the one you see on all the Christmas cards that are sent out. And it's almost that time. <laughs> Start sending out Christmas cards. And a lot of them use this verse. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ gave his life willingly and unreservedly so that we can have peace with God. And I put, I, there's a chart up here, I think it's the next slide, um, where I illustrate what we were just talking about, that peace with God leads then to peace within, and peace within then leads to peace with others. And, and that, that sequence is important. Okay? We want to have good relationships with other people, but we have to have peace with God first. We have to have peace within. We have to be at peace in ourselves, and then we can have peace with other people. Now, we face in America a clash of worldviews, don't we? 
Um, and it is, it is, it is intense, uh, sometimes very bitter. Um, and the foundational difference in those two worldviews, what we would call a secular worldview, and, and of course a Judeo, what we call a Judeo-Christian worldview, is what do we do with God? Do we believe there is a God or don't we? And if we, if we believe that there is no God, which is what we call secular humanism, or it can be entitled all kinds of things, um, then we have to, we start from the place that there is no God, so we've got to figure everything out by ourselves. We're all alone in this world, and so we've got to, we've got to have all the answers in ourselves and among ourselves. But if we start, as we do as Christians, from the place that there is a God, then everything depends and looks to Him. Everything we do, every, our, our whole lives are dependent upon God and upon God only. So if there is a God, then everything begins and ends with faith and allegiance to Him. Does man have any authority beyond himself? Is there absolute truth or not? Is the Bible true or not? The answer to these questions then determines the sense of our well-being now in our eternal destiny. And it all depends on that one thing. Is there a God? And does God love us? Is God, you know, is God really sovereign over the affairs of men? And if there is no God, then all character, we've been talking about Christian character and what it looks like, all character is relative. If there is no God, there is no perfect character. There's no perfect ideal man, so to speak. Because we believe as Christians, God is absolutely perfect in character, perfect in every way. And so our goal then as, as Christians is to become like him. But if we don't have a God, if we believe there is no God, then all kinds of character is just relative. It really comes down to the issue of uh, it, it might is right. And that's really sad. And that's where we are headed as a culture, unfortunately. We are headed to the place where we say uh, all character is relative. It really doesn't matter what you're like. Um, and, it, and it all depends on kind of the shifting sands of public opinion. But we as Christians, we say, no, it doesn't depend on public opinion. We don't go to the polls to find out what's right and wrong and, and what, a, what a good person is and what a bad person is. We go to Christ. Uh, we've been watching lately, and if, yeah, this, uh, <coughs> this, uh, <coughs> this is a Turkish soap opera, okay? <laughs> and and uh, we've been missing Turkey, and so we have succumbed, <laughs> lowered our standards, and we're watching Turkish soap operas, okay? And we do it in order to learn Turkish, you know, and refresh our Turkish and so on, and also to learn more about Turkish culture. Um, and so we've been in this one for 90 episodes. <laughs> okay. oh, yeah. 90 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever make it. There's 110 episodes and all. But anyway, uh, this is Hava on the left, and that's Eve. That's, uh, that's, that's Eve in Turkish. And Yusuf, which is Joseph, okay? So Eve and Joseph, uh, Hava and Yusuf. And, and the whole essence of this soap opera is that there is this, uh, it's an ebb and flow of their relationship, Okay? And they're engaged at this point, and they're getting ready to be married. But Hava is a deceiver. And Hava, it lies about everything, and most everybody in the whole soap opera lies about everything. And it seems like they can't tell the truth about anything. And Caroline and I watch this sometimes, and, well, I would say every, every time we watch it, we, we just go, we are so angry because we say, why don't they just tell the truth? Yes. You know, if you just told the truth, things would work out. But everybody's lying to everybody else, and there's all these intrigues and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, this is, you know, not only in Turkey, but in the United States as well, 
we are, you know, there's this, this relativity in terms of character and how we go about character. Um, if there is no God, then blind is okay. And all kinds of things are okay. But if there is a God, then we're going to give account to him. So the first thing is that we have peace with God. The second thing is that we have peace within. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding, we talked about the peace of God being our umpire, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we can literally, okay, live our lives in the peace of God. Peace within. We can literally live our lives without fear, without anxiety. Now, I'm not saying I get there, but I'm saying that that's where I'd like to go. And, and the good news is that Christ living within us is actually taking us to that place. None of us have gotten there. You know, we're going to be anxious. That's just part of life. But we know that Christ works in us to conform us to the image of Christ. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We can literally live lives with our, with our hearts not being troubled and not being afraid. Do you believe that? Do you live it? No. <laughs> We're all in process, aren't we? This word peace is an interesting uh, concept. And the, um, in the Hebrew, the Greek comes out of the Hebrew, and peace can be defined as a total sense of well-being and wholeness. Um, when you're in the streets of, of uh, any place in Israel, and you'll hear this constantly, shalom, shalom. Whenever you go into a store, shalom. You know, when you pass somebody on the street, shalom. Uh, you know, when you leave, shalom. In every kind of context, they say this word, shalom. And shalom doesn't mean just um, that freedom from trouble. It's everything that makes for a person's highest good. So more than just uh, the absence of war or trouble, it denotes a positive state of wholeness, soundness, and prosperity. Not, now, we're not talking about financial prosperity, but we're talking about prosperity of the soul. It means health of body, welfare and security, perfect serenity and tranquility, a life and state in which man is perfectly related, listen to this, to his fellow man and to his God. Okay, so, so when, when the scripture then here talks about being at peace, what it's talking about is having this, this sense of well-being in our lives. Not just an absence of trouble, but a, a true prosperity of the soul, we might say. It's a tranquility of heart deriving from the all-pervading consciousness that our lives are in the hands of God. And that God is a loving, caring Father. He's watching out for us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because God is with me. So morality, then, is the rec recognition of an objective moral law, and there is moral objective guilt, and there is subjective guilt. Okay? Now, we live in a, we live in a culture... And modern psychology says that what we need to do is, because there is no God, we need to deal with the junk that, that, that uh, you know, clogs up our hearts. Okay? And so there's a whole lot of modern psychology and psychiatrists and psychologists and so on with the goal to try to help you to deal somehow with the junk inside of you. The guilt, the con condemnation, the fear, all that kind of stuff. We've got to do something because everybody knows they've got it. And some people try to deny it and you, you, know, you maybe take pills or you, do, you know, or you drink or whatever you do in order to try to deal with this stuff that's, 
that clogs our hearts. But the good news is that, it, that the Word of God says that we can have peace within through having peace with God. So you see, the, the problem, though, is not just subjective guilt. The problem is objective guilt. And the, what we need first is to have our right heart with God and that something has to be done with that objective guilt. We stand guilty before God. That's the problem. And so those who say there is no God, they're just trying to deal with a symptom rather than the problem. The problem is you don't have a relationship with God. The symptom is I don't feel good inside. And the folly of our age is that we think we can have peace within without having peace with God. That's the folly of our age. We cannot deal with subjective guilt until and unless we have dealt with objective guilt. We know we've got our hearts right with God. We are forgiven by Him. And then we can have, begin to have peace within. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's just automatic. But I'm saying that we're on the path to having peace within us. Romans 8, 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So what we're doing then is that we are on in this process of the Holy Spirit being more and more controlled by the Spirit. And the more we are controlled by the Spirit, the more we have, it says, life and peace. We have true well-being as we are led by God's Spirit. So again, repeating, we cannot have peace within until we have peace with God through Christ. That's our fundamental, that's our fundamental starting place as Christians. When our minds are controlled by the Spirit of God, we have life and peace. So the solution to a broken world is a broken body on the cross. Third thing. First of all, we have peace with God. Secondly, we have peace within. And when we have peace with God, and when we have peace within, we can have peace with other people. It says in this, as members of one body. And that could be rendered, because you are one body, or being in one body. And so this one body is talking about that we are placed in a congregation. We are placed in the larger church, the, the, the collection of believers all around the world, but we are also placed in this local congregation. And God wants us to have peace with one another. Peace is first internal, then external. And peace within generates peace with each other. When we're in inner turmoil, it spreads to other people. Isn't that true? I, you know, I know in marriage, when I'm going through stuff, Caroline's going through stuff. When she's going through stuff, I'm going through stuff. And it affects, we affect each other. But when we are putting on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, when we're bearing with each other, forgiving each other, when we're loving each other with the love of Christ, then we will generate both peace within, but also peace among us as believers. Because the sinful nature separates us from other people. I mean, you look at the acts of the sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. There's a whole bunch more. But those acts of the sinful nature, our own sin nature, separates us from other people. But if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, that brings us together with other people. So the solution then to getting along with each other is to be led by the Spirit. The more we are led by the Spirit, the more that we get along with each other. And furthermore, we have a thankful spirit. Colossians 3.15, and be thankful. It says in verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
Verse 70, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's an interesting word in the Greek, and it's the word that we get Eucharist from. Eucharisteo uh, is, is the verb form, and it's the word that we get you know, for Thanksgiving. And what we are doing when we celebrate communion together is we are really giving thanks to God together. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will, will for you in Christ Jesus. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So thanksgiving is the foundation of our service to God. It's not because Christ has done so much for us that I believe that our automatic response to the goodness of what Christ has done, to the goodness of God in giving his son so that we can have life, is that we are thankful. Deep down inside, I'm not talking about a shallow kind of thankful, thankfulness. You know, I know there, for a while there was a kind of a, a movement in Christianity, praise God all the time and that kind of stuff. Um, that's not what we're talking about, you know. I mean, we're, we're talking about giving thanks all the time and, and praising God all the time, but we're, we're talking about doing it from deep within our hearts. And there's a difference between just trying to do something as a technique and doing something because we, the whole thanksgiving just wells up within us. There's something deep within us that just, it just comes bubbling to the surface because we are so excited for what Christ has done in our life. That's the kind of thanksgiving we're talking about. When we realize what Christ has done, done for us, we cannot be help but be filled with gratitude toward him. Here's a picture, next one. Um, that's a picture of our backyard. Now, we're thankful for that. <laughs> that was a, quite a while ago. Um, nice picture, but it doesn't look like, quite like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Things, happen. Things happen, yeah. <laughs> Stuff happens. But the reason I put that up there is that sometimes I'll just go out back and we have that beautiful view of the mountains and I'll just sit out back and begin to praise God for what he's done. And it's not, you know, it's not, um, you know, trying to praise God. It's just the, the, the praise and worship of God just welling up within me. That happened to you? Yeah, you know, I mean, just all of a sudden, it just bubbles up within you. That thanksgiving comes bubbling to the surface. That's the kind of thanksgiving we're talking about. Let's go back to our text. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we've been talking a lot about individual growth, having peace with God and peace within and peace with others and being thankful. That's really more of an individual kind of thing, something that we're called to do. But now we're going to make a shift, and we're going to talk about the corporate nature of what we do with each other. You know, in America, we are, um, we are very much individualistic, um, you know, and, and really, I think in the whole West, we're like that. Everything comes down to the individual. And if you ask somebody, um, you know, who are you? And they'll start and they'll say, well, I was born in such and such a place, and, you know, and, and my family was such and such, and, and I have such and such a job, and I do, the, you know, and maybe you'll talk about your hobbies and so on, and your children. Um, and your wife, and so on. Uh, but if you're from the East, um, and I spent a lot of time in the East, um, you, if somebody asks you who you are, you start out with seeing yourself not as an individual, as a member of a corporate bunch, but you see yourself as a corporate body, and you are an individual in that. So the emphasis is on the corporate nature. Uh, I'm from such and such a family. 
And that becomes really important because your whole identity is not just yourself. Your whole identity is taken up with being part of that family. And that family is part of a clan. Or that family is part of a, uh, is part of a tribe. And, and so you don't see yourself as an individual. And everything you do either brings shame or honor, in a shame-honor society, brings shame or honor on that family or that family and that clan or whatever it is. And so, um, and that's the way, you know, that's the way you go through life. And they really think that way. So notice in this, the references to the corporate body of Christ. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So we're called to peace, but we're called to peace as members of one body, as you teach and admonish one another. So we are put in this body to teach and admonish and build each other up. As you sing, doing all we do, whether in word or deed, in the need, in the name of Lord Jesus, and as you give thanks. We give thanks both individually, but part of what we do on Sunday morning is that we corporately gather together and we give praise to God corporately. So, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the word in the Greek is logos. Uh, I am part of a men's group, and we've been meeting for how long? Oh, you've been meeting. I joined you about two years ago or something. We call it logos. Well, we don't. Michael does. <laughs> and Michael is, our, is, a, is the leader of this, of this Bible study. And it's centered around both Christ, who is the logos, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Logos. But the Logos also means the Word. Um, and the Word of God in, in terms of the written Word that we have. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, we spend all kinds of time in America. You can't go, you know, three blocks without running into a, a fitness center. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just everywhere. And there's a whole lot of emphasis on getting fit, staying fit. You know, some of us, we just pass those things by. <laughs> but, but others actually frequent those places. <laughs> and, but there's a lot of emphasis on the physical person. But how much emphasis do we put on the spiritual man? You know, Where are the, the spiritual fitness centers? Yeah, this is it, exactly. This is it. We're in the spiritual fitness center. That's what we're doing. We're developing, we're, we're developing that inner man. There's a book, and I've quoted this before, but I'm going to quote it again. Uh, written by a lady named Dr. Caroline Leaf. And it's called Switch on the Brain. And Caroline Leaf um, talks about, she's a brain researcher, and so she talks about the importance of the Word of God and what it does in our minds, in our, in, in our brains. And she says this, when we direct our rest by introspection, self-reflection, and prayer, when we catch our thoughts, when we memorize and quote Scripture, when we develop, I, I, oh, I might mention, she's a Christian as well, you can tell from this, but um, when we develop our mind intellectually, we accelerate the default mode network, which none of us know what that is, but that, it's a nice, nice phrase, and improve brain function as well as mind, body, and spiritual health. And, and her whole thesis is that the more that we ingest the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God, that it not only helps our mind, and it does, it actually creates positive neuro, neurological pathways within our mind and brings healing for toxic ones. A very interesting concept. She says, as we consciously direct our thinking, that is, towards Scripture, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. 
New thought networks grow. We increase our intelligence. You want to be smarter? The Word of God. And bring healing to our minds and physical bodies. And it not only affects our minds, but it also affects our whole, our whole health. Is, is, is enhanced and healed and, and blessed because we are ingesting the Word of God. So she says this, So our thoughts, imagination, and choices will change the structure and function of our brains, now listen to this, on every level. Genetic, no, I'm sorry, molecular, genetic, epigenetic, cellular, structural, neurochemical, electromagnetic, and even subatomic. Now she's saying that, not me. Okay, um, and so she knows what she's talking about. I, those are all just words to me. But what, what she's really saying is, when you meditate on the Word of God, it actually changes the structure of your brain. And you actually, every part of you becomes healthier. Now, we all know that as Christians. We go, yeah, 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 I know that. But what she showed is that she goes into the brain and maps it all and shows how scientifically that is actually the case. So then part of what we're doing as we meditate on the Word of God is that we are building each other up. Romans 12, 6 and following says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So what this is saying is this, that there are really two different categories in which we serve each other as a body of Christ. One of them is in word. Um, that's what we're doing this morning. I'm sharing God's word with you, um, not just, you know, because I like standing up in front of people, but because I believe at the bottom of my heart that it will change your brain structure. But, and, and so there's two categories that we see in, this ver in these verses. One is in word, prophesying. Prophesying, teaching, and encouraging. And so we together... God gives us prophecies, God gives us teaching, God gives us encouragement, one with another, to build each other up. And we do other things indeed, serving, contributing to the needs of others, leadership and showing mercy. And God puts us all into a body to build each other up and make each other strong. That's what, you know, we're not just here to hear from the Word, we're here to hear from each other. We're here to, because Tom might have something that I need. And Iris might have something that I need to build me up and make me stronger in Christ. So the first of these is teaching. Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this is what we get didactic teaching from. It's the word didasco. Jesus spent... You know, think about this. How much time Jesus spent teaching? In all kinds of forms, all kinds of places. You know, he'd go up into the uh, Sea of Galilee and, and, do this, and teach the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, and, and so on. And he was constantly teaching others because the Word of God is powerful and actually changes brain structure, actually changes our lives. But the second thing is admonishing one another. And there was a whole school of counseling at one time called Nuthetic Counseling. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, you've heard of that. Um, Nuthetic Counseling. And the whole idea was we go back to the Word of God and we encourage. The word encouragement it actually comes from this word, Nutheteo, which means to encourage or lift each other up, build each other up, using the Word of God. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brother that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So you, in your lives, using the Word of God, are competent to instruct other people. You ever think of yourself that way? You are competent to do that. <laughs> because you have the Word of God dwelling within you. 
And your gift, whatever that gift is, is important to us. There was um, a long time ago, I heard this, and I don't remember where I heard it, but I know it's true because I've heard it a couple times, um, that they, uh, somebody went down into Africa and asked the Africans um, there, I don't know if you're aware of it, but God has done an incredible work in Africa. Um, and the locus of Christianity now is in the southern hemisphere, not in the northern hemisphere. Um, the, you know, if you, where is the center of Christianity? It's not in Europe and America anymore. It has shifted to Latin America, uh, Africa, parts of Asia, and so on. And anyway, they went down in Africa and they asked the Africans, you know, what happened? Why did this whole revival take place in sub-Saharan Africa, mostly at this point? You know, why did that take place? And here's the response they got. You northern missionaries, you European and American missionaries, you went down into Africa and shared the word with us. And we took that word and we obeyed it. Mm. <laughs> we obeyed the word. And when we obeyed the word, God began to move in a powerful way. And the word of God just spread throughout Africa. Because they didn't hear it just as, oh yeah, that's a nice idea. They heard it as, I better do that. Because God has given me. Uh, because that's what God wants to do. That's what nuthetel is. That's what nuthetic constantly, that's what encouragement does. It helps each other to obey the word of God. Not just to hear it. Not to be just, you know, good hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Third thing is that we sing to each other. You ever think of your singing this morning as minister one to a ministry one to another? That's what we've been doing. We've been ministering to one another. Uh, Ephesians 5, 18, 19. Do not get drunk on wine, and we don't do that, because we don't serve we don't serve wine in communion, but which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. So part of what we do on Sunday morning is we're just singing. We're singing to Christ. We're singing to God in thanksgiving. But we're also singing to each other. Encouraging other. Helping each other. Uh, with, with worship, we actually are building each other. It says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so those together is just talking about a whole variety of different kinds of music. The style isn't important. The important thing is we're singing from the heart to God. We're worshiping God. And as we do that, we are lifting each other we up. We are blessing each other up. You know, I, uh, again, I spent, have spent a lot of time in the last uh, 20 years in a Muslim culture. And the one thing that really hits me when I'm in a Muslim culture is that there's no music. There's no music praising God. Uh, there's chanting. There's kind of a, you know, a dirge kind of thing. Uh, but there's no, there's no joyful celebration like we have in the Christian church. You know, when you go in, you drive by a church. I was out there this morning just hearing, hearing the praise team praying. I was thinking, you know, how blessed we are, God's people, that we sing to each other. That part of our, part of our faith is that we, we, are, we are lifting up Praises and worshiping and singing. Joyful singing to God. Tell you what, you don't find that in a Muslim culture. I'm not saying they don't have music. They love music. But it doesn't come out of the church or the, or the, uh, or the mosque. It comes out of the secular realm. And, and, and even more than that, <coughs> it's interesting. We'll sometimes, we'll be in a shopping center, you know, in the middle of Ankara, in the middle of Istanbul, you know, a huge city, and there'll be Christian praise music on the loudspeaker. <laughs> it's in English, so nobody knows what it means anyway. <laughs> but you can hear Christian praise because they love, they just dearly love the, the you know, the, the spirit of those, of our worship. Especially around Christmas time. I mean, it's so odd to be in a, in a Turkish in a Turkish, uh, um, you know, shopping center, 
and hear Christmas music coming over the loudspeaker. <laughs> you know, the, the hallelujah chorus in a Turkish shopping center. Go figure. 1 Corinthians 14. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. And finally, do all we do in the name of Jesus. So what we're saying is this. We need to have peace with God. Our first message as, as believers to, the, to our world is you've got to have peace with God until you can, unless, until you can have peace within. You're not going to have peace within without peace with God. That's our basic message. Secondly, is that you can and you, you will have peace within when you have peace with God. Not instantly or anything like that, but you're going to have peace within. And thirdly, that when that happens, you can have peace with one another. And so part of what we're doing as a body of Christ is that we are ministering one with another because we have peace with God, because we have peace with it. We are ministering to one another, building each other up, and making each other what Christ has called us to be. So we all have a personal responsibility and privilege to get together and worship Christ together. May God bless you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Heavenly Father, we find that we want to always work on having our peace with you. And then our peace within ourselves and the peace with others, Lord. Please give us that grace so that we may have those pe that peace. That we may learn that without the love of you, without you in our lives, that there can be no other peace, Lord and that it all starts with our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you, and we want to strengthen that relationship every day. 
This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with us till we meet.